Well, we treat powerful things very carefully, don't we? Uh, think about the powerful things in your life, uh, like your car, for instance. Uh, cars are wonderful tools. They get us from A to B, but they're very powerful. They can, uh, they can kill people. They can kill you. Unless they're, they're highly regulated, you need a license to drive them. Uh, the state requires you to wear your seatbelt uh, when you're in the car. Uh, think about electricity. Uh, you know, there's many things around the home which, or the garden which, you know, if they go wrong, you might try and fix them yourself, somewhat successfully or somewhat not. Uh, but not the electricity. You don't, you don't mess with that stuff. It's powerful. Uh, so you get a licensed by the state, an electrician to come in, uh, some, someone who can give you a certificate of electrical safety. Uh, probably the most powerful object, physical object in our world is the gun. Um, very powerful, um, incredibly useful tool if you're in the outback or if you're a farmer, uh, if you're working for the police or the military. Uh, but of course, very powerful, so highly regulated. You need a license just to own it. Uh, licenses are hard to get. Uh, you have to lock it up. There's all these incredible rules around them, very sensible rules, uh, because it's a powerful object. Uh, we treat powerful things carefully. And our, our scripture today from, from Proverbs, as we continue this little series looking at the book of Proverbs, uh, teaches us a simple truth, and that is our words are powerful. Uh, they bear fruit, and the fruit of our words have powerful consequences. Uh, it wasn't long. Jeff read it out for us before. It didn't take him long. <laughs> Let's read it again together. Uh, Ella, if I could have the next slide. This is, this is the last of the slide gymnastics you'll have to do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, read it, read it together with me. Ready? One, two, three. Uh, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. So our words are powerful. They bear fruit, uh, and you will live with the consequences of your powerful words. What do you think? Is that true? I mean, what are words? They're just little, little puffs of air. Or uh, the written words are just marks on a page, or, or more likely, you know, they're just um, you know, pixels on a screen. Are they really that powerful, the power of life and death? Uh, to quote the, the modern proverb, if you will, or at least the child's proverb, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, uh, but names or words, they will never hurt me. Well, the Bible says that our words are, are incredibly powerful, that they have the power of death and the power of life and everything in between. Uh, that power is in the power of the tongue. Our words are powerful. They, they bear powerful fruit. Your words can provoke a feeling in the emotions of the listener. Your words can, cons can control your or other people's perspective. 
Uh, Your words can influence or start or stop other people's actions. They're powerful. Maybe you can remember words spoken to you in the past uh, that shaped you. Uh, I can remember when I was in my early 20s, I was sort of getting involved in church as an adult. And, um, yeah, an older, wiser man who I looked up to uh, after a service one day where I was um, service leading, you know, doing what Jonathan was doing today. And, um, yeah, after the service, he said to me, Ben, you are good at leading worship. And in part, not totally, but in part, because of those words, well, here I am. Our words bear powerful fruit. Maybe you can remember painful things that have been spoken to you or about you. Uh, Yes, in a school uh, playground, uh, I used to chant, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, I, I can tell you that you know, all the scrapes and breaks and bruises from the sticks and the stones of my primary school playground, they have all healed. <laughs> but some of the wounds from some of the words, yeah, they're still a bit painful. Our words bear powerful fruit. In the 1960s, uh, a psychologist named Robert Rosenthal did some very famous experiments which kind of illustrate the power of words. Um, And he started out experimenting on rats. Um, So not in a a cruel way, but um, with uh, rats going through mazes. So, you know, it's the 60s. You know, think cliched psychological experiments with, with lab rats going through mazes, you know, the cheese at the end and the rat's got to get through and everyone's wearing, I don't know, white lab coats and, you know, big 60s uh, Coke bottle glasses and they're, you know, they're experimenting on rats at university because that's how you train psychologists. Anyway, so this um, Rosenfeld guy, he did, he did experiments with rats and so he was training rats to go through a maze. And uh, so what he did is he got in his students, student researchers, uh, to train the rats to run through the maze and, you know, kind of take notes on the progress of the rats and how it was going, all that sort of thing. Uh, But what he didn't tell the students is that he took the rats and he randomly assigned them into two groups and he labelled them maze-bright rats and maze-dull rats. Um, but the rats were just rats, right? <laughs> they, they weren't good or bad at running through a mat, rat. He just, sorry, through the maze. He just assigned them these labels. Uh, and then he gave, a, you know, students to train their rat. And he said, you know, like, uh, Jonathan, you get uh, this maze bright rat. And uh, Anthony, you get a maze dull rat. And, you know, uh, he just gave them the labels and said, train the rat. And uh, didn't tell them anything else. And um, so the students you know, were training their rats, and they, rela- they reacted to the words that were spoken over the rats, to their labels. Uh, and guess what? The, the smart rats, the, the, ra- the maze-bright rats, did about twice as well as the dumb rats 
uh, even though they're just rats, right? They were just randomly assigned into two groups um, at the beginning of the study. And so what happened was the student researchers, their beliefs about the rat, created by the words attached to them, affected the way in which the researchers trained the rats, perceived the rats, acted with the rats, and that in turn affected the way that the rats learned. Our words are powerful. They, they bear fruit, and that fruit is powerful. If you think that's interesting, this will really blow your mind. Uh, later, Rosenfeld did other experiments, uh, and these are the kind of experiments that you could do in the frontier psychology of the 1960s, but I doubt you would get through ethics clearance committees these days, and probably that's a good thing. Uh, what he did was he kind of repeated this experiment with school children. Uh, he administered um, IQ tests to children in a school, I think at the start of school year. And it was a real IQ test. Um, it you know, measured academic potential. But then he'd sign them into two groups. Um, I think he called one group academic bloomers, so ones who were expected to do well uh, in school and, and so forth. And the other was a control group. They didn't get a label. There was just one group that was labelled academic bloomers. But what he didn't tell anyone was that the groups were randomly assigned. They had no correlation to the actual IQ test. It was just like randomly you're in the control group, you're in the academic bloomers group. Anyway, uh, later on in the, in the school year, he retested all the students. And, and remember, that the, the labels were, were assigned at random. They have no, no correlation to the student's ability. But what they found, especially in younger children, like grade one, grade two, there was a remarkable difference in the increases uh, of, of the test, of the intelligence quota, the IQ, between students labelled as academic bloomers and those who were not. And, and the theory is that the teachers, you know, they were just teaching and they were told that this was an academic bloomer. They weren't, you know, going out of their way to be mean to the other students. But just subconsciously, they reacted to the labels. They reacted to the, the words that were spoken over these children. And, you know, who knows exactly how it happens, but, you know, slightly better perception of the students, slightly better interactions, more feedback, more approval, more encouragement, more, you know, more smiling and nodding. Our words bear powerful fruit. God's words are powerful. What did he say? Let there be light, and there was light. God's word is described in the Bible as a, a sharp, two-edged sword. Uh, it's described as a mirror which reveals our true self. Uh, it's described as a purifying fire that refines and, and burns away the dross. And, and God, of course, made all of us human beings in his image. And, and in doing that, he endowed us with some of the creative power of his words uh, some of that's come to us. And like with all powerful things, we should treat our powerful words carefully. As the proverb says, we will eat the fruit 
of our words. Or, or to put it another way, words have consequences. Words have results. Uh, let's have a look. Verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. Uh, he is satisfied by the yield of his lips. So, of course, the, the proverb's using figurative language, isn't it? Um, it's using the image of fruit and eating uh, to explain that our words have consequences, you know, or they bear fruit, uh, which we will then eat. Have you ever had to eat your own words? At least one person nodded. <laughs> Good job on being honest, Jody. Uh, my mum uh, sometimes likes to joke that my dad has foot in mouth disease. Uh, usually we think of eating our words in a, in a negative sense, don't we? But according to verse 20 of this proverb, uh, it's, it's in a positive sense. Um, you know, to reframe the, the image, um, words boomerang. You know, we f- you throw it out and it comes back. But, you know, like, have you ever seen someone who knows what they're doing with a boomerang? You know, like, it looks pretty cool, right, when you, you chuck it and it goes all the way over there and then, you know, it comes back and you're just like, <laughs> you know, that's good. <laughs> you want to eat the fruit of your lips when it's like that. And uh, we can be satisfied with the fruit of our lips. I I mean, how good is it when you say the right thing at the right time? You know, it's like eating a satisfying meal. You know, maybe you're at the meeting and, um, you know, you're a bit nervous, but you spoke up with wisdom and you spoke up elegantly and, you know, everyone nodded their heads and they agreed and, you know, then the meeting workshopped a new solution to the problem and they were like, yeah, thanks, Ben, that was great. You know, it's, it's very satisfying. That's good fruit to eat. You know, maybe you had a friend who needed advice and you just knew exactly the right thing to say that they needed to hear. And they're like, thank you. You know, that's, that's satisfying. Uh, maybe you're at the party and, you know, you tell the joke with exactly the right timing. My dad has foot in mouth disease. Our words bear powerful fruit and you will eat their consequences. You will live with their results. But as satisfying as satisfying it is to speak with wisdom at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, our words, of course, can also have negative consequences, can't they? Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, So this next proverb, the next verse, it it continues with the same figurative language of of fruit and eating and meals uh, to talk about words and their effect. Uh, But this time, this proverb is cautioning us. Uh, Yes, words are powerful. Uh, Yes, using them well and with wisdom is incredibly satisfying. Uh, But those who love it, as the proverb says, uh, and and it here, it it refers back to power, the power of the tongue. Uh, In the Hebrew, the the, the pronoun and the the noun are are aligned. So um, 
those who love the power of the tongue will eat of its fruit. Or in other words, the consequences, both good and ill, both life and death, will come from speaking. So if you speak carelessly, be careful. Words have consequences in this life. We all know that. You know, how I regret some of the foolish, rash, mean, petty, angry words you know, that I've spoken over the years. And, and the results of those words, both, both for me, uh, but also for others. You know, with some of the worst examples, like, they like haunt me sometimes. You know, have you ever said something and then immediately regretted it? Like, you know, you kind of try and backpedal, but you know it's not enough. Guard your words. Speak carefully. Speak with wisdom. Uh, I think the teaching of Proverbs as a whole and and the wisdom of the Bible is that a, a large part of your peace, a large part of your happiness, a large part of your success in life will result from how you speak. Uh, not, not everything, of course. It's like a lot of stuff goes on that determines how our, how our life pans out. But, but the way we speak is a big part of it. Uh, I think, you know, I'm a middle-aged man now and I have enough wisdom to look a little bit back. But it's true in business. Uh, it's true in family. Uh, it's true in your social life. You know, much will be determined, not everything, but much by how and to who and what and the timing of your speech. Because our words are powerful. And, and in the church, well, how we speak uh, has both the power of life and the power of death. Uh, how we speak about the church, how we speak about our St. Augustines, how we speak about or speak to each other, it has the power to discourage and to knock down and to destroy. But of course, it also has the power of life. How we speak about the church, how we speak to each other, you know, has the power to encourage. It has the power to build. It has the power to renew. Our words bear powerful fruit, and, and we will live with their consequences. So our words have consequences in this life, but that's not it, is it? That's not the end of the story. Our words will also have consequences in the next life. Uh, In Matthew's Gospel, which uh, Jonathan read out for us, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, if you take this out of context, you, you could read that Jesus is kind of, uh, you know, perverting, uh, per, not perverting, <laughs> presenting a, um, a works-based salvation, you know, kind of like speak more good words, get into heaven, speak less bad words, avoid judgment and damnation. Uh, I, don't, I, don't think what he's, I don't think he's doing that because uh, if, if you notice before when Jonathan read out the whole passage, uh, just before he says this, he says, 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think what Jesus is saying, what he's warning, is that you, he, can judge the condition of a person's heart by how and what they speak. I think that's true and a bit sobering. How we speak reveals our heart. I had a quick look on the internet and um, apparently the average person speaks 2,000 words a day. Uh, apparently women speak a little bit more and men speak a little bit less, but 2,000 is about the average. I'm not sure if that's true or not. <laughs> it's, from, it's just some, something I googled. I vaguely remember hearing the same statistic, but it was 10,000 words a day. But we speak a lot of words. So if we took the wisdom of this proverb to heart... What would our words sound like? What, how would our conversations be different? You know, when we speak to our families, uh, when we speak at work, when we speak to our friends, uh, when we speak to each other over morning tea after the service. Would we laugh less? Probably not. <laughs> but we might laugh at different things. Would we gossip less? Probably. Would we speak more carefully and more truthfully? Would we listen more? Would we speak with gentleness more? Would there be a bit less grumbling and complaining and a bit more encouragement and gratitude? Yes. So how do you actually do it? How do you speak like the Proverbs warn us, advise us, encourage us to speak? How do you, how do you change your words? Well, as Jesus said, from out of the heart flows the, flows the words of our mouth. So to change your words, we first change, or rather we continue to change our heart. And the good news for us is that our God is in the heart-changing business and he's not done with us yet. <laughs> he changes us when we first believe in him uh, and then he continues to change us from the inside out. <laughs> and he does that, Jesus himself does that to his people, to his church, to us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, you know, growing and changing his people to be more like him and so that our hearts are more like his, and thus our words are also more like his. And, and he does that through, well, the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, but he, also, he does that through just the ordinary means of grace, as we used to traditionally say in the church, you know, that he's given us. And those are the very simple things, you know, meeting together as his family, praying to him, uh, enjoying the Lord's Supper together, and soaking in his word, so that our words might be sanctified. If you like, since we're all going to eat the fruit of our own words, no matter what we speak, improve the taste of your own words by eating Jesus' words. And you do that, gathering together as his people, taking the Lord's Supper, praying corporately, praying by yourself, and the operation of his word, the Bible. 
both together when we're gathered and day by day when we're scattered. Our words bear powerful fruit and we will live with their consequences. So pray to our Lord, gather with his people, eat his words to improve the taste of your own. Friends, let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we acknowledge the privilege and indeed the power of the speech that you have endowed us with. And we pray that you would grow us in wisdom in the use of our tongues. Forgive us when our words have hurt others. Heal us where words have hurt us in the past. Teach us to eat your words so that we will improve the taste of our own. Please work in your heart and in our, work in our heart and in our church by your Holy Spirit to expand our hearts so our words may be generous and to soften our hearts so our words might be kind and to give our hearts courage so our words might be truthful and to cleanse our hearts so our words might be pure. And we, your people, may we be satisfied by the yield of our lips for your glory. Amen.